Okay, let's take our Bibles now and get to it here in Matthew. We're going to start Matthew chapter 16. I think this would be, again, a place to, to kind of to get started. Our text is going to be in chapter 20. So um, the more that I've studied this section, it's certainly a unit that's working together. And uh, the fact that we're at Matthew 20 and there's 28 chapters in Matthew means that we're winding down. That just hit me this week that my soul, we're... We're winding down in Matthew. Now, it may still be another year, but I mean, we're, we're kind of we're concluding uh, Matthew's gospel. And so um, this is a very important section of scripture for all of us as believers. But also, if there's somebody here that doesn't know Jesus as Savior, then, then we're going to cover the gospel here this morning where you can, you can hear it. Um, and so, but Matthew 16, I'd like for you just to look at uh, verse number 24, we started here, I believe it was last week, and, and, and as a foundation moving forward, and we're going to ref- even refer back to this in the midst of the message. Uh, Peter had just acknowledged that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one, and, and, um, and the Lord Jesus affirmed what Peter said and said that upon this rock, not upon Peter, but upon the the truth that Jesus is the Christ, that he would build his church. And so he acknowledged that, he challenged them about that, but then he also explained to them in verse 21 that he himself, as Messiah, would suffer, that he would be betrayed, that he would suffer, that he would be killed, but as the choir saying a moment ago, that he would rise again. That's verse 21. Peter says, absolutely not. That's not how this is supposed to go. And, and the Lord had to rebuke Peter and say, get thee behind me, Satan. All right? Now, we'll, we'll come back to that thought in just a few moments. But verse 24, all right? Look at verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and what? Follow me. All right, now, would you, would you go to chapter 19? We're, we're on our way to chapter 20. Chapter 19, just, just briefly here, it'll help us uh, with the context of all this. Chapter 19, uh, the latter part of it, verse 27, was, is what we're going to look at. And this is right after the rich young ruler has forfeited the greatest opportunity of life. He had the opportunity to be saved and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and he walked away from it. He was not willing to forsake everything that he had to follow the Lord. Now, verse 27 is where we were last week. I'd like to draw your attention back to that. Verse 27, Peter answered. Well, Peter said a lot, didn't he? He answered and said unto him, unto Jesus, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? I want you to see verse 28 because it certainly connects to our passage today. In verse 28, Jesus said unto them, so he didn't just say this to Peter. He said unto them, verily, I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, that'd be in the renewal when he makes all things new, the new heavens and the new earth. In fact, we would even apply this to the millennial kingdom. So when he makes all things new, when the son of man shall sit on in the throne of, what's it say next? His glory. Ye also shall sit upon 12 thrones. 
judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he goes on about forsaking all. Verse 30, but many that that are first shall be what? Last. And many that are last shall be first. Okay, and then he gives the parable. We'll come back to that now. Let me direct your attention to verse number 17. Everybody following along so far? I'm taking off preaching time just because you're following along so well. All right, verse 17. All right, Jesus and Jesus going up to Jerusalem. Took the 12 disciples apart in the way. And said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge or to flog him. He's going to be beaten, and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. Listen, he knew exactly to what he was headed. And he kept going. All right, now verse 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her, with her sons, James and John, with her sons, worshiping him and desiring of him a certain thing. I'm sorry, and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, what wilt thou? And she saith unto him, grant that these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. Only as a mother would do. Now, I think James and John would even fight about which got the right and which got the left. (laughs) But, verse 22, Jesus answered and said, you know not what you ask. That's, That's really a key statement in the text. You know not what you ask. Well, that's true of all us a lot, isn't it? You don't even know what you're asking for. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of? And to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said unto him, we are able. (laughs) I saw somebody cringe just right there. They, They didn't really understand what they were saying right there. We are able. Verse 23 And he saith unto them, ye shall indeed drink of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. And when the 10 heard it, please notice this, please. When the 10 heard it, They were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. Notice this, verse 26, But it shall not be so among you, 
but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Notice these two very important words right here. Even as, even as the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. May God bless the reading of his word here this morning. The title of the message is this, the Lord's surprising leadership chart. The Lord's surprising leadership chart. Last, uh, last week we talked about this, real winners come in last. This morning, I'd like for you to think about this, real leaders follow. Real leaders follow. Now, I would imagine that most here um, are familiar with leadership charts, organizational charts, uh, hierarchy charts. I mean, you, you, we use them in business. I realize you're not going to be able to see that, but you can see the basic structure of it. This is actually our, our Sunday school, um, adult Sunday school. Well, no, not just adult, but a, our Sunday school structure here at Southwest Baptist Church. This is representing uh, Brother Ted, a Sunday school administrator. And then you have the children's classes, youth classes, single adult classes, young married classes, uh, middle-aged adult classes that hang on so they don't go to the senior adult classes. It's kind of how it works, right? And, and uh, so then, then there's teachers in each of those classes. This is, a, this is a leadership chart. In fact, by the way, Jesus was not against structure. He's a God of order and structure. And, and he himself would validate that. But what he did, he, he took the basic model. And if you do some research, and I did, I just very quickly, you know, just looked into leadership models and such. And you, there's four basic types of organizational charts and, and such. And so you can have arms that come off to the side of these charts and such. And it really does help. I mean, there's got to be a chain of command. Our United States military, uh, those of you that have served, you understand that. I mean, there's a very, a very structured uh, chain of command. In fact, a lot of that, by the way, came out of the Bible, how that you have captains of hundreds, captains of thousands, captains of hundreds, captains of fifties, captains of 10. I mean, it's really, it's just God's organization and his chart. So this is not problematic, but here's what Jesus did to the typical organizational chart of the day. He took it and he turned it on its head because the typical organizational chart of the day, including our day is, is ideally thinking this way. The person that's greatest is here at the top and everybody else is down below to serve the one that's at the top. Jesus says, that's not how I'm going to measure greatness. I'm going to measure it a different way. And so he began to speak to his disciples that evidently they were not yet getting it. Now they would get it, but right now they were not getting it. They were struggling. Anybody else here struggled with some of the things that the Lord had taught you and taught you and taught you and taught you. Thank God he's patient enough to keep teaching. One individual said this about this passage as we're getting into it here. I want you to really think about this because it affects our lives in so many different ways. But he said this, there's no place for pride and self-seeking of any sort in the life to which he has called us to live. There's no place for pride and self-seeking. 
But let's acknowledge this. Every single one of us struggle hard with pride and self-seeking. Every problem you have with somebody else is related to pride and selfishness, and I'm not talking about theirs. Well, I am, but I'm not just talking about theirs. It's yours. Pride and selfishness. Warren Wiersbe said this, now this is, and, and, by, and by the way, I mean, our Lord is speaking to uh, future leaders of the church. Uh, when you say that, churches that are going to be started as this, I mean, the Lord started the first Baptist church. He started it. And now these men are going to be sent out and others are going to be sent out to start churches. And so they are going to be leaders, which ironically, it's very interesting that you don't find the word leader throughout the New Testament. You don't find it in the Old Testament, but you'll find terms like this, servant. Brother, saint, that's what you'll find. But Warren Wiersbe said this, he said, it's sad to note in the church today, and he's speaking just broadly about churches across uh, the, the landscape, um, internationally, but also within the United States of America. It is sad to note today that we have many celebrities, but few servants. We have many celebrities, but few servants. And evidently, the ministry leaders then needed to hear this. And I think those of us involved in the Lord's work now need to hear this. And until Jesus comes again, we're going to need to keep this servant mentality in our minds. Those um, eager to go into ministry... I mean, there, there's a, there's a, there's a zeal that's there that, I mean, you, you want to, you want to, you want to be used of God, but there can also be a danger of seeking greatness for yourself. I remember a, a friend of mine, uh, uh, he was so excited about uh, getting an office. And so he, uh, you know, as, as you're coming on church staff and he was excited about getting an office and. And so uh, he met with a pastor and he asked the pastor, you know, where's, where's my office going to be? And, and so he said, your office. Oh, yeah, your office. And he walked him down the hallway and he came to this certain room that was between the men's restroom and the ladies' restroom. And it was a closet that, you know, was a janitorial closet. And he said, this is your office. He said, I called it Third John. <laughs> That was his office. <laughs> that's appropriate or not, but anyways, that's what he said. Um, Brother Rick Wilder, we heard him preach this week. It was, it was wonderful. It was a blessing to hear him. And he too was excited about an office. And, and I understand that, but, but here's what the pastor did with him. He said, oh, your office. Yeah, let me show you. And he went to the front doors and he opened up the doors or whatever door it was. And he looked out on the city and he said, okay, here's your office right here. You're going to be out here knocking doors. You're going to be out here caring about people. You know, that was a great lesson for Rick Wilder. It's a great lesson for all of us. What, by the way, whether you're going into ministry or not, we all struggle with this because we want to be first. 
We want to have position. We want to have recognition. We want to be appreciated. We, we want to, in fact, here's, I'll just, I'm just going to try to shoot as straight as I can with you today because I think we all struggle with this. In many ways, we are glory hogs. We're glory hogs. We want the recognition. We want to, we want to be the hero. I, I remember a few, uh, a few, uh, Months back now, Brother Mark Dick was given a, a devotion to our church staff, and and uh, he said, you know, every one of us want to want to be the hero. I mean, what guy, as you daydream about a baseball game in which the you know it's the bottom of the ninth inning, you know, and and there's two outs and and two strikes on the batter, and the batter comes to the and the batter comes to the plate, and it's the opportunity to hit the walk off home run. What man among us imagines imagines our best friend or somebody else hitting that home run? Oh, no, you're the one that steps to the plate and hits the home run. Isn't that right? That's what you're thinking about. As I went out in my grandparents, you know, front yard, and we had a pine tree that was home plate, and, and then, you know, a, a, an oak tree that was first base, and then a second base, and a third base. You know what I'm talking about there as you play in the front yard. And, and I would take that ball up, and I would take it, and I'd hit it, and it would go near the fence. <laughs> Not over. <laughs> a few times over, Ladine, it did. But, but anyways, uh, you go near the fence. Man, I was Daryl Strawberry or I was some other batter that was there. You know, I mean, that, that's, there's, in fact, by the way, there's, there's an aspect of that that maybe it's not bad, but most of it's vain. Brother Mark also said, you know, as you think about the bad guy coming to town and, and in the old Western show and he comes to town and everybody's scattering, you know, as you can see him run him into their shops. You know, what man in your mind do you imagine yourself to be the, the shopkeeper that's sweeping and then he runs into this, his shop? Do you, do you imagine yourself as him? No, you don't. You're the gunslinger that's out there with a little bit of a draw. Isn't that right? Why? Because we want to be the hero. Peter, James, John, uh, all the others, they wanted to be the hero. They, they wanted to be the one that others appreciated most. But if they made that their goal and their aspiration, then they're taking away glory from where it rightfully belongs. And every single one of us, to one degree or another, struggle with that as well. And, and here in this passage, and the, the reason I had us go back and maybe uh, take a little bit more time to try to set up the scene is because Jesus is warning his disciples as he's about to pass off the scene to go back to heaven, to ascend back to heaven. He's warning them about putting themselves first. And you may be asking yourself even right now, what does this have to do with me? I'm not, I'm not going into ministry. And what, what does this have to do with me? Well, listen, let me ask you this. Have you ever had a fight with your spouse? I'm, I'm not hearing a lot of people <laughs> volunteering information right here. Have you ever got into it with your kids? Have you ever had it out with somebody at work? Have you ever wondered why did they get that office? Why did they get that position? Why did they get that extra overtime? Why, why is my hours being cut? Have you, have you ever struggled with why, uh, why somebody gets to sing and you don't? For some of us, there's obvious reasons for that, but the rest of you may, may be struggling you know, with that. Have you ever struggled with some of that? I mean, really, if you've ever had any kind of time where there's been some kind of a butt in the heads that I'm telling you what you're dealing with, what we're all dealing with is basically this pride and selfishness because we think we ought to be treated better than others. And so the Lord is helping us understand that even as this rich, strong ruler was walking off the scene, he knew that his disciples, deep down in their soul, they still wanted to be first. 
And use this parable. This is what we considered last week as he talked about this landowner that came and hired a man at six o'clock in the morning and they agreed on a daily wage. They agreed on a good amount, you know, uh, per hour or whatever it would be. And, and so they agreed on that amount. And then he came back at nine and he came back at noon and three. And then he came back at the 11th hour, five o'clock in the afternoon, just about quitting time. And he hired another man to go out and to work in the vineyard. And when it came paid time, he paid the last one first. He paid him the same amount as somebody that was working from six o'clock in the morning. And the people that were working at six o'clock in the morning, that they were deep in the line of those that were being paid. They were looking ahead and thinking, now, wait a minute. Here we've been uh, working all day long in the heat of the day. And you're going to pay him as much as you pay me? That's not right. And you know what they're struggling with right there? This, an entitlement mentality. And, and the truth that we looked at last week that's, that's carrying over into this, I'm not, I'm not feeling preaching time here. I'm saying all that he taught there is playing into what's going on here because they could get the mentality, I've worked longer, I've worked harder, I've been in worse conditions. Why am I not treated better than others? I wish I could get what I deserve. Whoa. Whoa, wait a minute. Honestly, you don't want what you deserve. And the fact that they even got to work in his vineyard was by his grace and of his mercy. Hey, listen, you don't even deserve it. I don't deserve it. We don't deserve to be here on a Sunday morning. We don't deserve to be saved by the grace of God. We don't deserve to have good things going on in our life. And, and listen, we don't deserve anything, but he's so gracious and loving to give us this opportunity. And thus we ought not think more of ourselves than we ought to think, but to see, think soberly and righteously. Humility, by the way, is not degrading yourself, saying I'm a low down, dirty, rotten scoundrel. That's not humility. That's still pride. That's still selfishness. Humility is thinking right about yourself to think that God has created me. And I can't believe what God has done. And that's really thinking more about God than it is about yourself, see. So here they are on their way up to Jerusalem. And they're on their way to the Passover feast, a high day in Jerusalem. And as they're on this journey, there are many other people that are going with them. Now, the Bible says they went up because Jerusalem is at a higher elevation. And they're on their way up to Jerusalem. And, and just imagine this, okay? Just, I mean, sometimes, uh, and I have to say that even as I previously studied this passage, when it says that he took them aside, I hadn't really just comprehended exactly what was going on there. But what was going on is that there was many other travelers going with them that day. It'd be like our Christmas traffic. As people are traveling home, I mean, you know, I-40 is full and I-44 is full and just it's more than normal. Well, here they are on this road going up to Jerusalem and there's more people on the road than normal. And he, he knows, in fact, Mark helps us out with this passage. The, the book of Mark says that Jesus went ahead of them. He went before them. And so there was evidently some distance between him and the disciples. And Mark also helps us understand this, that they, as they followed, that they were amazed and they were afraid. So they knew something different about this trip. They, I'm sorry. They knew that something was different about this trip. They, they sensed it. He set his face uh, to go to Jerusalem. And he pulls them aside. He pulls off the road. 
He pulls them aside and he tells them what he tells them in verse 17, 18 and 19. Which, by the way, is actually the fourth time that he has said this to them. He said it in chapter 16 that we read. And when Peter said, absolutely not, Jesus, you've got your eschatology all wrong. It's not time for you to suffer. It's time for you to reign. Because they were thinking if you're the Messiah, then that means that you are coming to rule and reign here. You're going to set up your kingdom. And if you're going to set up your kingdom, we're going to be co-regents. We're going to have thrones. We're going to be his administration team. We're going to be in his cabinet. That's what they were thinking, friend. That's what they were thinking. And, and Jesus said, no, wait a minute, Peter, you've got it all wrong. Before I rule, I must suffer. That's what he said. I must suffer. He said it also in chapter 17. This verse kind of slipped by me, but in verse number 12 of chapter 17, he talks about how that Elijah must come and, and that would be John the Baptist. But he also mentions how that the son of man, he mentioned this now, listen, he mentioned this to Peter, James, and John, the three that went up with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Listen, they saw him in his glory. And even while he was in his glory, is everybody still following this right here? Moses and Elijah appear with him and Luke tells us that they were talking about the fact that he as Messiah was about to suffer. On the Mount of Transfiguration, his heart, his mind, his focus is on Mount Calvary. The suffering. They come down from the mountain and, and that scene plays out there. But then in chapter 17, a little bit later, he tells them one more time, this would be the third time, that he's going to suffer, that he's going to be betrayed, that he's going to be uh, beaten. Uh, in fact, in Mark, he says that he's going to be spit upon. I'm telling you, they did not treat our Savior right, dear friend. And all that's going to take place. And, and shortly thereafter, they had... A discussion among themselves in this way. Everybody still listen to this? Who's going to be the greatest disciple? That's what they were talking about. He's talking about the cross. They're talking about the crown. So now he, he has explained to them that he's on his way up to Jerusalem, still, still in their mind, even after all that he said to them over and over and over again, still in their mind is this idea, okay, He's a Messiah. He's going to set up his kingdom. We're going to rule with him. They're adding all this up. We're going to Jerusalem where the kingdom is going to be set up. The capital of Israel. And he's not going to need Donald Trump's help to get it done. He's going to set it up himself. He's going to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem. We're going to Jerusalem. I'm amazed by this. I'm a little bit afraid of this, but I'm amazed at this. We're on our way. It's going to happen. Shotgun. Shotgun. Somebody say, wait a minute. Wait, you lost me right there. Shotgun. Front seat. Everybody that's rode with somebody else, you know, especially in your teenage years and your college years, you call what? Shotgun, that means I got, I got the passenger seat. I'm telling you, that's what's going on. And, and Mark, Mark doesn't even mention Salome. Salome would be uh, James and John's mother. He doesn't even mention it. 
He mentions just that James and John come and speak to Jesus about this. But, but and listen, by the way, the Bible's not contradicting itself. It's just that Matthew's giving the full picture of what happened. And Mark has given just this isolated discussion between James and John. Because, you know, I mean, it's kind of like one of those deals where your mom talks to somebody about something. And, and sometimes when your mom gets involved, you know, when mother, don't, don't do that. Right. Now, not my mom. She's watching, you know, eventually by live stream. But, but somebody's mom would kind of come in and, you know, get preferential treatment for my boys. Hey, uh, and, and she came this way. She came and worshiped him. She fell at his feet and, and had a request. And he asked her, what wilt thou? And, and she's looking. She's asking about maybe throne reservations. Can I call ahead? Do we have call ahead seating right here? I mean, back, that's the reason I took you back to chapter 19, verse number 27, 28. Jesus said that he would rule from his throne of glory and that they would have thrones. So James and John are thinking, if we're going to have thrones, I know where I want mine. And mine, mom, I'm telling you, James and John were in on it. They weren't, it wasn't like they were innocent in this. For sure, we find no evidence here in this text that James and John are saying, mom, 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 stop. Stop. No, where she stopped, they kept going. Could we, could we sit, Lord? Could we sit when you come to the throne of your glory and ours? Could we sit one at thy right hand and one at thy left hand? And maybe they'd already played for it. Who was going to get the right? Who was going to get the left? I don't know. But, but, but here they were. They were wanting position. They were wanting status. They wanted to be recognized. They wanted to be the top dog. They wanted to be the one that everybody said, man, look at him. Oh man, look at him. Look at them right there beside him. Well, before anybody sits to his right and to his left, two must be crucified. One on his right and one on his left. Well, let me ask you this, this here, here this one. This thought just came to me. Which do you and I deserve more, a throne to his right or his left or a cross to his right or his left? Think about that just a second. If you've ever sinned, if you've ever lied, you've ever stolen, you've ever blasphemed God's name, you've ever lusted, then I'll tell you what you deserve. You don't deserve a throne. You deserve to stand before a throne, but you don't deserve a throne. You deserve a cross on Mount Calvary. That's what we deserve. Peter and John, sorry, not Peter this time, amazingly. Not yet. Not till he hears what their request is. Not till he heard them say, shotgun. He said, wait a minute here, just a minute. James, John, what are you doing trying to get my seat? You think they're concerned about eschatology? You think they're concerned about theology? You think they're concerned about Christology? No, I'll tell you what they're concerned about, friend. Selfology. Meology. The study of me. The promotion of me. Me, mine, I, I want. You don't deserve it. I deserve it. Me first. Because the Bible says that they were indignant with James and John, not because they loved the Lord more, but because they loved themselves most and thought, who do you, who, the audacity of the likes of you to try to get my seat? No, friend, listen, I'm wearing the button today. Greatest disciple right here. Scoot over. After all he taught them. 
after the lesson about when you come to a ruler's house, don't, look, don't sit in the chief seats. Go find some seats up in the nosebleed section. And if they want you to be on the platform, they'll come get you. But don't you seek it for yourself. He, he had taught them that. And other lessons. And they dismissed it. Brother Sam's here today and he preached to the alumni during this past alumni's meeting on this very passage. And he said that there was a disconnect between what Jesus taught and what they thought. That's our basic problem. Our, our basic problem is not that we don't understand theology or that we don't understand, that we don't understand even eschatology. It's not, it's not a problem because, listen, you can be theologically sound, doctrinally right, and yet have a wrong motive. You can have a high view of Christology and a low version of Chris, Christianity. Because there's all, people, all kinds of people around the country and I have been in, involved in all this mentality and all of us, no doubt. And at some time in your life, you're thinking, man, I want to be the best. I want to do this. I want that recognition. I'm telling you, it's totally vain. It's empty because we deserve nothing but a cross. And the quicker we can come to the place where we serve, not to be served or not to be recognized, not to be appreciated. If we, the quicker, is this making sense right here? The quicker we can come, not for what I can get out of this church service, but what I can give. Amen. If we'll come with a servant mentality, then bus routes will keep running. Sunday school classes will stay full. Church, junior churches will be occupied, which they are today. I thank God for that. But listen, if we lose this servant spirit that says, I'm, I am not too good to pick up a piece of trash that's on the ground. I'm not too good to clean a toilet. I'm not too, I'm not too good to stack some chairs. Don't you know there's a chairs mover's crown in heaven? You'll find that nowhere in the Bible, but chair movers crown. Hey, what do you do after the event's over? Do you just leave or do you stick around and maybe try to help out? I realize that some people have to get on, but listen, it's just that mentality. We can't lose that mentality about being a servant, not so that we would be recognized, but so that we would follow the right one who called us to follow him in the first place, who himself was a servant and came to minister, not to be ministered to. The reason you may not be serving him is because you're on your throne. What throne? What throne are you talking about? You're a lazy boy. <laughs> Kick back. In fact, you're so, you're so comfortable in that lazy boy, you can't even get up to get your own self a glass of lemonade or tea. Hands are sweaty. Woman! Ooh. Oh, you're about to be last right there. <laughs> you, you, you can't serve God from a lazy boy. You're, you're not going to knock doors. You can't, you can't knock doors virtually. You don't get to do this by live stream. Well, we're talking about the reality of Christianity and it's not done sitting, sitting down. 
And, and we need pews and we need seats and we need to sit and we need to listen and we need to take in and we need to confess sin and we need to get right with God. But, but all that is, it's like, this is a one big huddle that, listen, this is what we need to do here. It's what he's given us to do. It's not pastor's game plan. It's what the, what the chief shepherd has given us as a, as a people to do is go out and, to, and, to, and to preach the gospel to every nation to care about people, to love people. And you can't do that just reclining all the time. Thank God that you come so often and you come to services and that you're here. I'm not berating you, of course, for that. But I'm, I'm asking, are you, do you have that heart of a servant or are you just kind of in a little bit of a comfort mode and just kind of kick back and taking it easy? Um, that's further back than I thought. <laughs> Jesus asked, can, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? What cup is that? Well, cup of judgment, cup of suffering. That's what he has in mind. Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? What does he have in mind? Well, the context bears out that he's not talking about his water baptism that had already taken place. But even that itself was a picture of the fact that he was going to be crucified and buried and but that he's going to rise again. That was his first act, first public act is that he's showing, here's what I came to do. I came to suffer. And, and Brother Sam helped us all when he preached this message about how that what he taught can be disconnected from what we thought or what we think. And because we get all disillusioned, because we think, like we said last week, that if I'm serving God, everything ought to be going pretty smooth in my life. And when it's not, we think things like this. Ah, why is this not going like it ought to be going? Doesn't God care? Doesn't God know? Don't I deserve better than this? And we get disillusioned and think, what in the world's going on? I'm out. I'm out. If this house is going to be at Bible College, I'm out. If I don't get to pick my menu, I'm out. <sighs> if this house is in church, if we have to wait till 12, 15 to get out of church, I'll find another one. I'm out. If serving God is this difficult, I'm out. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What'd you get in? He told us up front what this was going to be like. He didn't tell us that we were going to have it made in the shade drinking peak lemonade. He told us, if you follow me, it's going to be suffering. Can you drink the cup that I drink? Can you drink, be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? And, 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 and they said, we are able. And, and, and Jesus didn't, did not blast them right there. In fact, here's what he did. Looking ahead in time. He said, you shall indeed drink the cup and you shall indeed be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. In other words, he's saying, listen, I know right now you're pretty focused on yourself and you're self-centered and you're proud and you're arrogant and you're thinking me first. But James, I know there's coming a day when you're going to serve me. And I know there's coming a day when Herod is going to see that it's going to please the Jews to kill some of the Christians. And that James, the brother of John, the one who said, me first, I want that seat. That James would be the, be the one martyred. And it would be that John that we read about in the book of Revelation, who was exiled on the, on the Isle of Patmos. They did drink of that cup. They did get baptized with the baptism of suffering. But right here, they don't have that mentality they had the mentality, true greatness is ruling and reigning over others. And we're going to Jerusalem, and I want a chance to rule some of those filthy Romans. Ironically, the same 
the same attitude that they despised about the Romans. How they looked down on them as Jews and they ruled over them with an iron fist. That was the same spirit mentality that they had. That when it comes my time, I'll get them. And Jesus says, that's how they do it in the world. They had their organizational chart and they exercise authority and they put people under their feet and they hold them there. But that's not how it shall be among you. But among you, it shall be this way, that if you want to be great, then you be a servant. If you want to be chief, then you minister to others. You don't, you, I've not come myself. I haven't come. And if anybody deserved to rule and reign and could have been a tyrant, he certainly could have been, but he's too good for him to be a tyrant. And so he would come and he would take the, the basin and the towel and he would wash their dirty feet. To show them that if you're going to follow me, you've got to be a servant. And thus with Jesus, true greatness is not measured by status, but true greatness is measured by service. What office do you have? What position have you come to in life? How many people do you have working under you? How many vehicles in your corporation? How much in your financial portfolio? You know, all that is just worldly mentality. Here's the real question. How many people have you helped this week? How many have you served? That's the measure of true greatness. I'm totally convinced. Brother Hetzer preached about the, the judgment seat of Christ where we stand before him someday that... Not to see if we go to heaven or hell, friend. Listen, that's determined right now while you're alive. But in terms of all their works for him, whether they were self-motivated or whether they were truly, genuinely for him and to serve others, I'm convinced that there's people that are not nationally known, that are known by the God of heaven who sits upon the throne. And he knows they don't have any kind of an office. He knows that they make, get ready for their Sunday school lesson every week without any fanfare. Maybe even with a flannel graph. Remember old school flannel graph? It doesn't have to be old school. It's still effective. It'll still work. Technology doesn't have to take over everything, friend. It's still in my heart and mind someday to preach a, preach a flannel graph message. I've got the one picked out. It's about Cora and the people that were swallowed up, you know, because of pride. I'm just thinking, man, that'd work, have a little slit, and they're, pfft, they're gone. <laughs> but dear ladies that have taught many years in Sunday school, not known, not known in some national preacher's meeting, but they're known by the one who sits on the throne. Amen. And he'll say, well done, thou good Amen. and faithful servant. Amen. Do you want status or do you want to be a servant? Real leaders follow. That's it. Let's stand together here this morning. We could take more time this morning, talk about some real practical things, about how this applies at home at dinner time, who's going to help with the dishes. Who's going to help with the chores? Who's going to take trash out? Who's going to change out the paper towel roll? 
We could talk about at work, how you're going to treat the people that you work with. We could talk about in the Lord's work. Who'd be willing to teach a special needs class? Who'd be willing to work in a four-year-old boys class? We could talk about how you treat fellow members. But I think you get it today. We've got to have that heart of a servant that Jesus was talking about. We certainly could apply this a little bit further in marriage and see how that all marriage problems, all family problems, all friend problems boil down to that me first attitude. Dear God, I thank you this morning that you gave and preserved passages like this that would confront us right where we're stuck in our own selfishness and pride. I thank you, Lord, for, for working in my own heart and... And Lord, thank you for giving liberty to preach this morning. Now help us to be servants, true servants, not for self, not for glory, not for anything vain. Dear God, it's so slippery to, to ease over into that mentality that's just totally wrong. <clears throat> and so I pray you'd help us. Now, Lord, we talked about how that you would suffer and how that you'd be buried, but that you'd rise again and that be in the gospel. If there's someone here that's not saved, I pray that you'd help them to understand what it means to be saved, that this morning they would not try to rely on anything good that they could do, but they would trust you and you alone in Jesus' name.